Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, we're in Mark chapter 3. There's also tapes and CDs of the service, Help Yourself, podcasts, go on the site. You can listen to the uh, service on podcast too there. And today I have a special ending. Brian's going to do a little ending, a little, you know, like kind of like the, what does they call it, treats. Uh, you go to Friendly's, the happy Sunday ending. He's going to be the happy ending for us. He's going to share some about the Philippines at the very end that kind of finish the, the, the sermon today. But the, the title today is A Lasting Impact. And we've been looking at Mark chapter 2, chapter 3, where we see the Pharisees have been attacking Jesus left and right for anything and everything. They've been hammering away at Jesus. No matter what he does, he can't win. It's kind of like if you're a Democratic Democrat president, no matter what you do, the Republicans attack you, right? And if you're a Republican president, no matter what you do, the Democrats attack. Well, Jesus is experiencing that same uh, attack level, right? And But he keeps putting them in their place, and, and every time he does, he exposes their empty man-made religion, the religious traditions that they're following. But today we have a commercial break. No more fighting for a day. Actually, two next week, too. We're going to take a commercial break because we see here that Mark actually just a little break from the action, and he shows a con that in, in contrast to the religious leaders that are attacking Jesus, the people love Jesus. And, and I call this popular Jesus draws a crowd. You know, wherever he goes, he draws this crowd. <clears throat> but what is really interesting about this, that is his response to his success, right? Because that's, that's success, right? Measure of anybody's success. Be popular, draw a crowd, be a celebrity, right? And so we're going to see that he has a very different response to it. And we're going to find the secret to having a lasting impact in our life. If you want to have your life make a lasting impact, we're going to see the secret right here from what Jesus does. And let me, let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing us through a hard week, missing church last week with the hurricane and, and many people going through a lot of hard times. We thank you for bringing us through a lot of crises. And Lord, we just pray now that as we focus on your word, that your spirit would speak to us. We pray for your mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read. We'll start Mark chapter 3, verse 7, where he says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd followed, I'm sorry, a large crowd from Galilee followed, when they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing toward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Now, if you saved your themes, if you've saved your themes from Mark stuck in your Bible, like I was encouraging you to do, several jump out. There's a lot of themes. Remember, Mark had all these different themes that he focuses on through the Holy Spirit's leading here, and several of them jump out right away. First of all, it's popular Jesus, right? Everywhere Jesus went, he draws a crowd. Everywhere he went, people followed. It's just like whatever he did. It's like the Pied Piper. When I was uh, on the farm, I was 
kind of like a Pied Piper with the, the cats and dogs. We had probably five dogs and 25 cats as an average, right? That was just kind of the average of what we had. People would drop dogs off, cats off. They would have kittens, and it was just an ongoing thing. And I had this thing about I just couldn't walk by a cat or a dog without petting it. And, and, as, and so I just, I just felt sorry for the kitties, and I'd pet them, and I felt sorry for the dogs, I'd pet them. And as a result, they became very attached to me. So I'd be out working in the barn, and wherever I went, I'd be, like, taking the wheelbarrow along, and there'd be cats literally running. We'd have this little ledge along the wall. They'd be running along, following me wherever I go. And I'd stop, I'd throw a bucket of grain, and I'd have to pet three or four cats. I'd throw another bucket of grain, have to pet three or four cats. Whatever I did, these cats would follow me. These dogs would follow me everywhere I, I, I went. It was, uh, it was, it was crazy. It, uh, I, I still have a weakness for petting animals. Um, I was going for a walk recently in our in our neighborhood, and there's a, this black lab who always wanted to be petted, but it's behind like has one of those electric you know collars on, and and there's a fence. So I'm always afraid to pet it because first of all, I'm afraid if I get it too excited, it'll cross the electric fence and get a shock, and I'll feel really bad. And the kids are like, Dad, can we go pet? I'm like, No, I don't know. It might get excited, and that does happen. Uh, I, I'll tell you what happened to my mom. She, my, my brother put an electric fence in our house. You know how you put them out in the yard? Well, we have these animals, and they always want to come into the house. So they came up with the idea of putting a fence under the floor of our house, like going from the, the back shed to the, the kitchen. So the animals could just come, dogs could just come to the, the back kitchen. They couldn't come up to the table and take food and all that stuff. So, so she put it, they put it under the house. My brother Todd came up with the great, you know, great idea. It was a good idea. Put it under the house. So the problem is, though, these dogs on the farm, when they want to come in, they come in. So the one time my mom was there and they came running, right, the one dog came running right across. Bark, you know, bark got shocked. Didn't matter. Kept on coming, you know, got to the table. And she's like, oh, now she felt, my mom's real softy for the animals. And, uh, and most of her kids, all but one. And so she, uh, she took, she, she felt really bad. Now she couldn't let the animal go back, the dog go back, so she took the collar off and walked the dog back across. My mom went, ah, you know, she got shocked. You know, I was like, you gotta be careful. You can't be, you know, touching dogs and all that. So I'm, I'm walking through our neighborhood and the kids weren't with me. I'm like, I'm gonna try it. It was the other morning and, and I walked, walked, stepped over the line and, and this dog went berserk. You know, he was like, nobody had petted, looked like nobody had petted him in a year. You know, he's just crazy jumping up on me, jumping up. I'm trying to calm him down. I'm trying to get over the line, but I'm, I'm sure he's gonna get a shock. And finally the owner said, is she attacking you? I'm like, no, no, I just petted him. And she, she came out and held on to the dog and let me cross the line. So now I just kind of reach over and touch him. But, but this, this is what Jesus was like. Everywhere he went, people would just flock to him and follow him and be all over him and children on his laps. You get the picture. He's very, very popular. He, he, some, you look at this list of where people came from. Some of these towns were 70 miles away, which isn't that big a deal now. But then they had to walk 70 miles. They were in the hotels. They were, you know, Talk about canoe trip, camping trip. That's all they did, right? They, they, they just wanted to be with Jesus. They followed him everywhere. And he's still drawing crowds today. Jesus still, when people first see Jesus and hear about what he was like and what his life was like, they're still drawn to him. In fact, I saved an article from some years ago, now it's back in the 90s, is the Jesus Film Project. Some of you have seen the Jesus Film. Well, they were... Um, it says here, whole villages have been converted to Christianity in Burma since the government allowed missionaries connected with the Jesus Film Project to show a Burmese language version of the gospel movie there. Get this. 
The film has already, and this was years ago now, the film has already been seen by more than 100,000 Burmese people since just in this one year. 4,000 of them have become Christians, put their faith in Christ. Among them were 37 Buddhist monks who now see Jesus as a unique God who had nothing to do with Buddhism. That's their spin on it. Jesus Project Film also announced that numerous supernatural healings took place during the film showing in the region. Spontaneous documented healings. Crazy things. Crazy things still happen when people first come face to face with Jesus Christ. Some amazing things happen. A lot of us can tell those same stories, can't we? The, the amazing things that, that Christ did in our life. So this is what's going on with Jesus. Uh, so we have this popular Jesus. The second theme that jumps out at us is the rejection of the religious leaders. Also, what other themes? You see any other ones that jump out? A couple big ones. Okay, the secret Messiah. He's still, the, still Spider-Man. He's still got the mask on. He's not letting anybody know who he is yet. Got to keep it secret because once they know for sure... He knows his crucifixion is sure to follow very quickly. The cross is coming. They're going to execute him. And so that's one secret Messiah. What else? The cosmic conflict. Remember the cosmic conflict? Casting out the demons. The miracles is another theme. The healing going on all the time. Uh, And then also Christology. Jesus, the Son of God. The demons are calling calling him out on this. He shuts them up. It's not his time. But I want to focus on one more that we haven't talked about, another theme that has not been talked about yet. It's easy to miss in all the excitement of the crowd and all that's going on, and that is discipleship. Discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means you follow Jesus Christ. You make the decision to follow Christ. And, and we start that when we first put our faith in Christ. When we first say, God, I believe Jesus is your son that came to die on the cross for all the wrong I've ever done or ever will do. And I ask you to forgive me, and I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus Christ. When you take that step and become a Christian, that's when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the focus I want to talk about today, because this is a theme that jumps out. That's why Jesus withdrew. Remember, look what he says. He withdrew with his disciples to the lake. It's actually the sea, called the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake, but it's called the Sea of Galilee. That's where he went with them. He was trying to get away to go on a retreat with his disciples. Didn't last. Everybody came piling in there. Now, also, to show you what, what I'm talking about, discipleship, let's look at verses 13 through 15, where it says... Following all this craziness, all this big crowd, all that's going on, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So, he, we're going to study the 12 next week. It's a pretty wild story about all these 12 unlikely draft picks. You know, you have the draft going on. Jesus' unlikely draft picks here. But it's exciting what he did. He shares his authority. He shares his power with them. But the really exciting part about his disciples here, the really exciting part is that they were picked to be with Jesus. That's the essence of discipleship is being with Jesus. I need 12 volunteers. 12 volunteers. Come on up. Can I give 12? 12 people, come on up. I'm going to show you. Just, I want to illustrate this with a visual picture. All right, one, two. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. No electrical shocks. Nothing like that. All right, so all right. No, 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 no. 
Okay, do I have 12? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Did Jesus have this much trouble? 10, 11. No Judases. I need one more. No. Who's Judas? Who's Judas? Oh, there's my Judas. Okay, good. Right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's it. You're not Judas. All right. What's that? <clears throat> okay, now. Uh, the reason I'm doing this is because this is what Jesus did. He, this massive crowd, and he calls out just 12. Do I have 12? Okay. Just calls out 12 people out of this crowd up on the mountain to himself. That's how he handled success. He didn't work the crowd. He called 12 people to himself. Now, if we had a big crowd, <laughs> whether it's church or whether it's you're trying to sell something with business or whether you're a celebrity, what do you do with the big crowd? Are you a politician? What do you do with the big crowd? That's what you focus on, right? You focus on the crowd. That, that's what we do, right? Uh, you, you work the crowd. That's the whole thing. But Jesus did just the opposite. Because we see in Jesus' ministry, he had a crowd of people. Then he had 70 disciples that he, and we can't do, it's going to be a mo- crazy if we try to do that. But figure, figure you're the crowd. You, this group over here is the crowd, and you guys will be the 70, all right? He, would, he had his 70. And then he had his 12, and then he had his three favorites. I'll pick the last three here. Just you're, no, no offense to the rest of you, but you guys step over here. Not really, he, not really favorites, but three people that he was called by God to invest even more time in. That was, who was it? Peter, James, and John. And, and you probably could even say he really focused on John even a little bit more after that. Now, and John was the only one who wasn't killed, persecution, stay close to Jesus, all right? So, the, uh, okay, now, Jesus did just the opposite. In our culture, we spend all of our time with the mob, right, the crowd, and then we spend uh, less time with the smaller group and less time with that one person, right? We, it's, but Jesus did just the opposite. He spent the most time of his ministry, uh, way more time than anything else, he spent most with his three, and then he spent those three plus the other nine the next most amount of time. And then the next amount of time went to the 70. And finally, whatever he had left over went to the crowd. That's the difference. All right, thank you, uh, disciples. Thank you, thank you. Let's give them a hand. They did a nice job there. All right. <clears throat> now, they weren't really Jesus' favorites, but, but he had a special connection with three that God the Father led him to really invest in. And this, and this is... This is the whole point of discipleship. We're all mixed up. I'll give you an example with discipleship. I went to seminary and was trained and started my ministry in the area of the church growth movement. The church growth movement. Some of you remember that, right? It's kind of like the church on steroids. You know, you know, it's baseball steroids. Bigger is better, right? Well, that's what the, the, the church on steroids, trying to get churches to take steroids is what I compare it to. The whole goal was to get bigger as a church. And they taught us, and we went to all these seminars, and we tried all this. We tried to develop better programs because we wanted to attract more visitors and assimilate them. So we wanted to attract and assimilate more visitors. Sounds innocent enough, right? And, and as a result, that became the whole focus of the church in America probably for 20 years. For a lot of churches, it's still the whole focus, right? And I, I remember being at staff meetings. I'm not going to name any of these churches, but some of you went to these. Uh, the, 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 we, we went to the staff meeting, and the only thing we talked about on Tuesday morning, which was staff meeting, was how many people were there and what was the offering. 
And that was the mark of a good Sunday. And if the attendance and the offering were down, what are we going to do? This is bad. What are we going to do? But if it was good, hey, we're doing great as a church. And we never, at a staff meeting, uh, never, I don't remember ever talking about discipleship. That was never, we never measured that at a staff meeting. It was never even on the radar. I was a youth pastor at several of these, when I first started, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Several of these churches, and these churches were growing fast. They grew fast. We, all these churches I was part of, we doubled like in, you know, a couple years. We built buildings. Some of you, you know, some of my history. We built buildings and gymnasiums. It was exciting. We were all proud to be part of these churches that were just booming and good things are happening. And I was also the evangelism pastor. I was a youth pastor and evangelism pastor at several of these churches. And my goal was to try to lead people to Christ, get people excited about leading people to Christ, and did all the training with everybody. And I, and I, and I read one time in one of my evangelism training things that the average church growth, out of, out of all the church growth in America, the average church growth, only 2% of the growth is because of people becoming to Christ. The rest are people just jumping ship, joining other churches. And I remember reading that saying, that's not our church. I'm the pastor of evangelism here. That's different at our church. And uh, no way. We're growing because we're getting people saved. They're coming to Christ. And, and, I, was, and I actually went and, and tracked down like the last year of people. Because we grew, I mean, when I say we were 100 people a year, grow, 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 grow. It was great. And uh, I thought. And so I, I studied all the people that came and how many came to Christ. I could follow, track it. And I found we did way better than that. We were 4%. Four percent of the people came because they put their faith in Christ. The rest, which was great, but the other 96 people that year just changed churches. And we were just running a better program. We just did a better job at running programs and attracting people. It's like Walmart or Home Depot, right? We just, you know, you know, you know how that works. They try to drive everybody out of competition by doing something just a little bit better. And that's what we did. We just tried to do it a little better. And as a result, we were draining the other churches. We were just moving church Christians around. We called it the Christian merry-go-round. You know, there's like three or four churches in our area, and people just kind of, you could watch it. After a few years, you could just see it's just kind of moving around, moving around. That's why I love being in New Hope, right? Uh, it's a whole different thing here. You know, we're, I think we're the only evangelical church. You know, we're competing with the occult and cults. You know, it's pretty, you know, it's a little bit different. Where are you going to go, you know? So it makes it a little easier for us. <clears throat> but not only was it happening in our church, but as I, I did a ministry called Stand the Gap, traveled around all these different churches all over the place, and, and I saw it happening everywhere. Wherever I went, and it was a, a church doing really well, it was the same thing. We were just stealing, borrowing people from other churches. And, and everywhere I went, everywhere it was successful, it was just borrowing other Christians. And I'm not saying God doesn't ever move people. You know, I know God moves us to different ministries. I'm not criticizing that. My point is, what are we getting excited about, right? What are we focusing on? That's my point. And in fact, they did a study on, on the entire country. And they did a study on every county in the United States. Back in the, in the, the height of this church growth movement, and you would think where some of these counties, uh, there's some really big mega churches. Some of you have been part of these churches. You think of Saddleback. I know Yoshi was part of Saddleback. And, and some in Chicago, you Will Creek. And some of these churches are just huge. What am I saying? Philadelphia. You've got Calvary Chapel. You know, 
15,000 people, whatever it is, you would think in that area there has to be some kind of Christian impact. You know what they found? There hasn't been any increase in the number of Christians in one single county in America through this whole time. Not one. And you know what the, the, the obvious conclusion is? Even the best churches are just borrowing Christians. I'm not saying nobody's getting saved there. Nobody's got, we get people saved all the time. But the point is that the, we, lost, we lost that focus. We lost the focus. The worst part is this. The worst part of the whole church growth movement it was there is very little discipleship. You know why? Because we didn't have time to do discipleship. Because we were too busy running programs for the crowd. The church has focused on the crowd. I remember being there, having no time for any individual discipleship because I was too busy running big crowds. Uh, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it was tough. We lost our focus. And many of you can share that same story. Many of you have said to me, you know, I was a pew potato. Use the pew potato. I was a pew potato, sat there, part of the crowd, never got involved because that's what the church was. We all just kind of sat there. And, and, and I remember Elizabeth Kiefer saying to me, yeah, Elizabeth said to me, you know, I've never grown so much in my life as here because I've got to be involved here. I've got to be ministering. You know, there's, no, there's no downtime here. <laughs> uh, that's... I had to make a decision with this church. Well, we're going to focus on a crowd or discipleship. And it's a big temptation, isn't it? Guess what the first thing people always ask me? <laughs> oh, you're a pastor? Oh, what's the name of it? What's the first question? How big is it? How many people do you have? And I can see people... If they're from down south where every church, Sunday school classes are bigger than our church, <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. But, but, yeah, it's, but it's, it's hard because you want to be successful. You want to have a crowd, right? And I do. I hope God grows this church. I hope someday we can't fit in here. I hope that, but I hope we do it the right way, right? I'm not saying anything wrong with growing the right way. I've had several youth groups bigger than this church. I've had some youth groups twice the size of this church. <laughs> and, and, and I remember thinking how great those groups were. And after I left, I looked back, and the impact was, like, about this deep. Because all we did was run a big program. We didn't disciple the, the kids. And that's why I hope, I believe, though, I really believe that we've laid the foundation differently here. I believe that if God were to call me on to a different ministry, he's not. I'm not making any plans. Don't get, a, don't, don't get upset. Or, or too excited, I should say. But uh, but the some of you. But I think if God did call me, I don't. I think this church would keep moving forward, and I think you, most of you, would move forward spiritually because you're grounded, and you're growing apart from the the, the programs. You're growing because of your disciples of Jesus Christ. I really I really believe that. Now, New Hope Church is far from we're far from perfect. I don't have to sell anybody on that. But our goal. And vision is discipleship. And just as time spent with Jesus was the key for these disciples, if we want to change lives, we have to spend time with people. 
It's the relationships that are so important. That's why we're a relationship-based church, not a program-based church. Nothing wrong with programs. God leads you great. But they should never get in the way of the relationships. And we try really hard to, to keep it that way. And I hope everybody here is connected or gets connected. We have the home fellowships. This is a great time to join. It's fall. We're kicking off a, a few few new, uh, re, 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 starting a couple of them. And also, I hope everybody here is ministering because the key to discipleship, Jesus gave them a job to do, go out and preach and cast out demons and and do miracles. He gave them that authority and power and job to do. And the only way we're ever going to grow as disciples is if we're ministering, right? And that's what's nice about here, smaller church. You can run, but you can't hide, right? We're going to keep, you know, we're going to get you involved, right? And... uh, it, it's, it's, it's so important that we're using our gifts and we're connected with people. That's what discipleship. And not only that, we have the one-to-one discipleship too. Some people call it mentoring now. The Bible calls it discipleship. Whatever you want to call it, I don't care. But it's one-to-one connection. And we have something called Good Life 1, Good Life 2. I don't care what you use. You have your own discipleship book, use it. But the whole point is connecting with someone and mentoring them and taking them through the, the discipleship process by spending time with them, by doing Bible study with them, by sharing your faith and passing on your faith. Uh, Barbara Wyatt has done this ministry. I know Barbara's here somewhere. Barbara has done this ministry for a long time with our church. And now Kim Yerkes and, and Brian Scheel are part of that. And, and someone may ask you, hey, do you want to you do discipleship? Or I want to encourage you to ask someone, spend time with them. But it's really important. But the whole point is spending time with someone. Could be one to one. Could be in the home fellowship. Could be in, in a friendship ministry. Could be uh, any of the groups that we have—the men's group, women's group, the teens. The center shot is a great example of, of discipleship. What they're doing with those those kids and, and adults there at center shot. Jesus focused on twelve disciples, and we're going to look at these dodos. Now, you think they're super guys? Wait till we look at the list of dodos. We're going to be looking in the mirror, I think. But uh, they they turn the world up. Upside down. Upside down. Who are we called to invest in? Who are we investing our life in? If you're a, a parent, first thing is your kids. That's your first line of discipleship. Make sure you're discipling your spouse and kids. As you know, I, most of you know I have 13 children. I'm just like Jesus, right? He had 13. One, he lost one, Judas, but he ended up with 12, right? Uh, 13. Uh, you know, that's really important. I'm constantly trying to make sure I focus on what's important with the kids. I've resigned from a lot of committees and community boards and stopped coaching teams so I could really focus on those kids. Uh, but also, Beyond that, what, what, is, what one person is God laying on your heart to spend time with, to invest in? And what do you have to do to get that time with them? Might have to shut off the TV? <laughs> Not watch your games anymore? Or if you, but here, here's another example. If you love watching the, I'll use the Phillies. You love watching your Phillies? Uh, invite someone to watch them with you. Have that time. Take advantage of that time. There's a lot of time to talk in between, you know, pitches, right? You know, in between innings, there's a lot of natural time. I'm not telling you, just make it naturally. Jesus just brought them along with him. Whatever you're doing, involve somebody with you. But I want to encourage you to, to think this way. One person a year that you really invest in, 
really invest in. And, and do it in such a way that at the end of that year, they'll be able to take someone else and invest in them, and you'll take another person. And you kind of see, do the math. You see what could happen? The in, lasting impact. I think of, of my ministry, and there's a lot of people I hope I've impacted, but there was a couple PBUers years ago, John, Jared, and Brett. Some of you remember John, Jared, and Brett. And they were helping with the youth group, and these three dodos, you know, somehow I got connected with them. And they started coming over on Sundays, and, and I started spending my Sunday afternoons with a lot of time with them in the Sunday afternoons, and other times too, but especially one at a time. One was one year, one was another year, and one was another year. And listen, on Sunday afternoon, I'm exhausted. I just want, the only thing I really can think about is a nap, you know, I'm tired, you know. But uh, these guys cost me many naps, you know. And, and I spent a lot of time with those three dodos, and, uh, and, and there was a lot of, a lot in their personal life, a lot in their ministry life, a lot of things. We had a, we were like boxing matches sometimes going through with them. But you know what? You guys remember them. That remember. They are now all three youth pastors, having kids. Jared just called me. They're expecting their second. <laughs> you know, they're having kids and youth pastors and, and doing this tremendous ministry. And, and I know I had a part in that. A lot of other people did too, Pastor Matt and a lot of other people. But I know the time I spent with those three guys. And I know the difference in their lives because I invested in them. And it took my, but I just it made, made them part of my life. Who is God calling you to invest in? Also, we are all called to be disciples. Not just disciples, but we're all called to be disciples. And notice the key was spending time with Jesus. Are we spending time with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in worship, and is just being alone with him in presence? Are we taking that time with Jesus? That's our privilege. It's not a job. It's a privilege to spend time with Jesus. Are we taking that time with him? Because I'll guarantee our growth, our spiritual growth, is contingent on that. It's connected to that. The more time we spend, the more we'll grow. Our, uh, the peace that we have, the impact that we have on other people's lives, it's all connected to the amount of time we spend with Jesus. Guarantee it. I know in my own life I can measure it day by day, week by week. It's that time we spend with Jesus. And the last question I want to ask is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the starting point to this whole thing is giving your life to Jesus Christ. In just a minute, Brian's going to come up. In fact, Brian, why don't you come up? But while he's coming up, I want to just take a few moments to pray here. Let's just pray for a few moments. And how is God talking to us? What life is God calling us to impact? What person to invest in? Maybe it's our family that God's speaking to us about and really investing in. And we know we're going to have to sacrifice a lot to do that. A lot of the things that we want to do or like to do, a lot of our selfishness, really. Would we ask God, who is the one person this year, 2011, you want me to invest my life in? To pass my faith to to help grow in Jesus Christ. Who's that one person?
going to start watching the game with them and just letting it become natural talk to them about, about you, Jesus. While we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and given your life to him. But the Holy Spirit is calling you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. A prayer from your heart to God's heart. Just tell him, God, I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. I believe your son, Jesus, died on a cross for me, for my sin, for all the wrong in my life, so that I could be forgiven. I believe that. I want to turn away from that old, rebellious life and I want to follow Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're now a disciple of Christ. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with someone. Maybe you have a friend. Let me know. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Email me. Whatever. Let, let someone know so we can be excited for you and, and help you. Encourage you in your new faith your new life in Christ. Father, I pray that every one of us would fulfill our potential as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would leave a lasting impact. When we, when we go leave this earth someday, we will leave many lives behind that we've touched. And I pray that it would start right now with one life that we could touch, one person that we could impact. And it might be the least likely person that we would ever want to spend time with. But we would just pray that you would lead us clearly to what, who you want us to impact. And Lord, we do pray that you would grow our church. But we pray that you would grow it through discipleship and through people coming to Christ. And you would find us faithful to entrust many people to us. Pray that in Jesus' name.